0: A lot of people the top musical experience of 2021 has been the new documentary by Questlove called Summer of Soul built around a series of concerts in Harlem New York City in 1969. I say built around because it adds political and cultural context to the music. The music is soul, funk, R&B, blues, gospel, Latin and African the panoply of black music at the time. And I say black because the movie puts the music in context with the emerging black consciousness. It is a deeply emotional experience. Bring Kleenex. To talk about it, joining me from Washington, D.C., is OMN national editor, author, and investigative reporter, Art Levine. Art, I'm sorry you're not at the Artichoke Cafe today. Because I could be sitting across the table from you instead of looking at you on the screen
1: right i I am sorry too. I really am. I'd love to be there. I'm a big fan of your city, and I always mispronounce it so no, you yeah. don't mispronounce
0: the city you've mispronounced the state right <laughs>
1: well, where did
0: I hear that somebody somebody was some uh, some politician like i was it was no it was it was like uh Bernie Sanders got it wrong too.
1: Well, say it the right way. So Oregon, if I, Oregon. 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 Yeah. Okay. Well, well you don't even have
0: to, we're not even going to talk about Oregon.
1: <laughs> of course. We've got much more
0: important things to talk yeah. about. Okay, look. We've both seen Summer of Soul, all right? Um, I saw it first on Hulu and then in the theater.
1: What about you? Well, I was lucky enough to see it at the AFI uh, film doc's. Which is a really wonderful annual documentary showcase, and it was one of the shows, and I ha- it happened to be showing on a Saturday night, and with a friend of mine who lives in Silver Spring, we went over to see it, and we got tickets and walked in, and I thought it was really good, and then there was also a special video interview by Questlove taped with a journalist whose name I forget, but was pretty knowledgeable, younger. Uh, african-american uh journalist who covers music and and learned some things about how he got involved and uh, and my appreciate the main thing is my appreciation for for the movie has kept growing after seeing it i knew how good it was and then i'll i'll be glad to tell you how my views have grown and grown in my estimation of it how long ago
0: did you see it first
1: I saw it only about a week, a week, maybe a week ago, or a week and a half ago.
0: Okay, okay. And have you seen it on Hulu?
1: Yes, I have seen it on Hulu, and it's very good. Uh, It's still very good in streaming, particularly if you're used to watching things on streaming video, and I am uh, a lot, even on a Kindle, rather than a computer screen, or even a larger TV, and it's good. In the theater, it's 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 a special it's a special experience in a live theater, and I would urge people, if you can afford it, go see it. Uh,
0: I have whatever. been advising people that if they're going to go to a theater and see it, or even if they're going to watch it at home, that they bring Kleenex. Ah uh,
1: yes, it's
0: because, very. Because see, I, I I'm not I don't quite understand your reservations about this.
1: No, no. What reservations? I said I had my reservations. Were... I sat
0: there with tears running down my face
1: when okay. when
0: when, when uh, uh, Mavis Staples and Mahalia Jackson
1: were singing. It was the yeah. most one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yes, I was choked up. I I was choked up during that those moments and some other moments. Oh yeah. I was very choked up. And I, you know, when I said my the quote reservations were, my when my initial reaction was, damn, that was great. I think that's one of the greatest music documentaries I've ever seen. And then after talking to you and thinking about it, and have seen most documentaries on most best of lists, I concluded, no, 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 this is the greatest music documentary ever done. And it's sort of like it's sort of like okay, people go, what about Amy?" And I go, "Well, Amy's kind of like Madame Bovary, yeah. very good portrait, very you know on a specific person, very moving, and this is like war and peace yes <laughs> it's, it's 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 so it has the individual drama and the broader social, political, and racial context. It's a masterpiece
0: it is a masterpiece. It is I I you know uh, um, I, now I I I have no qualms about crying in, in uh, 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 watching a movie. I mean.
1: Oh me either. I I every I, time
0: every time all I have to do is see, Cinema Paradiso even before I turn it on. If I see it's listed, <laughs> I know I know I'm just not going to be able to, to to to. I mean I don't try to stop you know.
1: I think for a lot of I think for a lot of men, particularly heterosexual men who you know have lesser overt feminine sides, whatever movies and TVs are one of the few places where their full emotions can be extracted. It's you know (laughs) that's sort of my own view. Uh, Occasionally, I've uh, you know in other circumstances I've cried, but what you know, uh, but what I'm getting at is. In movies, I am, I don't know what's the equivalent of an easy laugh for getting emotionally choked up, but it, it, it is sometimes I think of it as a sign of my general emotional deprivation that it ta- that it's only the movies that are TV that's specifically moving, and I go, oh, wait a minute, there's a emotional human being inside here beside just a joke machine and a writer or an obsessive follow of politics. It's like uh, uh, uh,
0: and the thing that still really gets to me, and I've seen it ten times now, is wow. the, the scene in – no, 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 not, not this movie, but the scene in Twin Peaks of the Return – when okay. Big Ed and what's her name, the, the owner absolutely. of the, and they're playing, they're playing Otis Rennings, "I've Been Loving You Too Long," and he right. thinks that he thinks he's lost her, and all oh, of absolutely. a sudden her hand comes up
1: over his shoulder
0: after, yeah. she, after she dumps the other guy. It's amazing, absolutely Isn't amazing.
2: Great.
1: And, and <laughs> you know what's so funny is, it, when he does that. We're we're also fans of David Lynch, and you're extremely knowledgeable about him. But when he does that, it is is kind of I don't know what the analogy is. It's like when Dylan Rowe chronicles, people go, oh oh, Lynch only does weird, uh, you know, weird offbeat, we can't figure it out stuff. And he yeah. goes, no, no, hold on, sir. <laughs> I am a dramatist and a screenwriter. And if I want to break your heart, I'm going to do it. Because right. I know how to use language and film and acting. Sort of like with Dylan wrote Chronicles. You read, Wait a minute. This is coherent, moving, powerful? Yes. A, <laughs> how did this happen? And you go, oh, he doesn't just write surrealistic weirdo music. With hard to decipher. <laughs> he's a genius. Yeah.
2: <laughs> who
1: has worked in different forms. And yes, he can write a coherent sentence if he wants. You it
0: know? was funny. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had Sarah Tiedemann, who is a, a flutist and also head of Third Angle New Music, a great avant garde music organization right. here. And, uh, uh, we just did, did about a half an hour, and everything was fine. She's very, very she's wonderful to talk to. she's bright, and she's you know she's really good and all of a, I don't know how, but the subject turned to twin Peaks, right and it turns out that she is also a twin Peaks nut, as I am. and so the last fifteen minutes of the podcast were she were. <laughs> She and I geeking out over Twin Peaks, which I, I don't want to do. I mean, I would like to do that because, you know, I would like to do that because we're good at that. But, <laughs> but, yeah. but here's the thing. I'm not sure. If the, first of all, this film, Summer of Soul, was based on a, a music festival in Harlem.
1: Right. But
0: it wasn't. I mean, it's not not a festival like... Woodstock or something like that because it was shot over the course of a summer and that's not really made clear it doesn't have to be made clear but it's something that I thought about after 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 I read about it that right. you know it it is presented as a
1: whole which is it great is whole, but it wasn't they, it wasn't that did you get that it wasn't I I I think it was very much in passing like um You know, you heard 50,000, you know, there's 50,000 people here. And then at another point, or maybe in some of the reviews, someone had mentioned 300,000, and and it was sort of confusing. So they didn't make clear, and I think that was a deliberate deliberate decision, not to make it clear, because they wanted people to view this in the same way and with the same reverence. And understanding of its importance that Woodstock was viewed. yeah, so they wanted yeah. to, to yeah. be parallel right. uh, I think to to Woodstock and you know a, 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 and so on. but it was there's so many telling things about how unknown it is. So they do say, and this comes from interviews Questlove has given, they do say, Oh, the tapes were there for 50 years and now no one has seen it until now. But uh, I think the discovery, there's a point that I'd want to mention about Quest Love, how he learned about it. It's kind of, I'm kind of maybe mixing a few things up, but one of the key points is the first way he got a glimpse that there was something going on that he wasn't familiar with was a clip of sly stone appearing at a festival and it was a shot of what was behind him there was no shot of the audience and he had not seen it and he was just unclear uh, and then subsequently he was just because he knows everything this is the shocking part at some point when they reach out to him and tell him about there was a harlem cultural festival that they list the superstars he thinks they're Grifting him or Josh, <laughs> because Questlove says he had never heard of it.
0: Right. right. So
1: if Questlove, well, you
0: you were living in New York,
1: and I had never heard of it right. before or after. And
0: I read the I read the Village Voice every week, and when I was living living in Baltimore, and I went to New York a lot, at least once a month, and I never heard of it.
1: Yeah, literally, you got to understand how plugged in I was. One, I mean, I'm not a super hipster, but I was extremely interested in African-American culture and music. I was working at the New York Daily News. (laughs) While primarily a racist organization, there were some, you know, a few black reporters around and so on. But it – and – I was reading the New York Times religiously, read the art section, read the village voice, okay, plus either it was that I think so that summer, I'm back in town, and I went up to Harlem <laughs> to go to the Apollo to see James Brown in person
2: uh-huh.
1: and this is a very fraught time racially because oh, yeah. there's still they talk about it in the movie, but it yeah. was you know, I was there, and one of the things is I was in line, and, you know, I'm a little jumpy about, you know, being a white person, and there's, you know, reports about crime, and it's just a year after Martin Luther King had been killed, and there had been burning in Harlem, and I'm there the, the next year. It's possible this took place in 70, but I'm pretty sure it took place in 69. 69. 69. Yeah yeah, 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 no, the movie took place about when I went to see James oh, Raffi Apollo, I and I was one of a handful of whites there. And I was uh, making sure that, you know, obviously I stood out, but I was trying to. Anybody, somebody came up to me and said, "Would you want to buy a Muhammad speaks?" I would say, "Surely, sir." <laughs> and I, 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 was there. I was very, you know, friendly. And, and do
0: you, ha- and do you have one of those delicious bean pies?
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I would like one. Thank you so much. And you know. Uh, Do you have a light? Yes, I do. You know, I mean, (laughs) so the concept was I was willing. So when I got in there and literally it was the most exciting show I ever saw in my life. And I've seen so many shows since then. But up to that point, seeing James Brown live in the Apollo Theater was the most excitingly possible. And he did these tricks that we know about later. Uh, you know, from the Tammy show, but see him in person, and I don't think, I, I may or may not have seen the Tammy show, but I really didn't know, the, no one, literally, he was the greatest performer alive, and I think he held that position for many years, and I subsequently saw him many years ago, but the point I'm making it is, here's a guy who goes to the Apollo to see James Brown, has no idea there's a Harlem Cultural Festival. Right,
0: right, and right, right, right.
1: And I felt a little better that (laughs) Questlove
2: himself,
1: (laughs) a scholar, about as knowledgeable about his genres of music and other genres of music as Martin Scorsese is about films. He's a real scholar.
0: And I I, at the time, was a student at Morgan State College. Which was a traditionally black college. I was working at the, uh, 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 writing in the student newspaper, and having access reading the Village Voice every week, and having access to, you know, uh, uh, African American culture. I mean, there it was right in front of me. Is you know, as um all my all my classmates, and um, uh, and yeah, I didn't so did know it's, about it's, it. I had no, it's I, no kind idea. It's of a
1: mystery. Yeah. So it is possible that. That they did all their, there's a few, this is to me fascinating, like, hopefully this might lead to, like, some in-depth New Yorker follow-up, like, how come nobody <laughs> knew about it? Like, I, I really want to drill into it. Did they did they kind of skip on the PR side of it, or did the person <laughs> they hire was kind of like somebody's legacy political appointee? Was it that? Is,
0: somebody should ask Robert Criscoll
1: that question. Yes. Is he still alive? I think he may was <laughs> a great hey Bob.
0: Idea. How come you how come you didn't do anything about this?
1: <laughs> Tra- I that thought is... you
0: were so cool, Bob.
1: <laughs> oh man, that is worth a phone call. I would just look at everybody who was around. Hey Jay Holberman, Just all the <laughs> cool people in the village voice, you know. Uh, you know, and Hey Lester Bangs. Hey, Vince Aletti, what the hell? <laughs>
0: and, and, and for me to say, hey, Nick Toccius, I mean, you know, who I revere. Nick, why right. didn't you know about this? Of course, he's dead, but I would like to have right. said that.
1: Yeah. Right, right. Well, I can, try, I can try to contact him from behind the grave. And actually, but, but the notion that that none of the hipster, and a lot of them like soul music. It wasn't, you know, oh, yes. another they were big into soul. They totally sure. respected soul music artists, and <laughs> I am, I am, I am. And, and here's the thing: you'd think that there'd be. I, I am. I, I, vow that after this conversation, I have a New York Times subscription. This took place. Do we think what in July of, well, of, the, of
0: the summer? The summer of summer so of '69. So, yeah.
1: So, so I'm going to start from June one. And end August 1, I'm going to dig into the New York Times archives and see if there's any reference at all, even in a metro section, like a tiny little squib. Yeah. Like, uh, Harlem, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of like in the when you go to the city weekend sections now, you know, they have the, the big ticket items that are blown up with large pictures and then right. they have the little right. tiny listings like yeah. uh family American Legion picnic and such and such, you know. So they must have had like a little tiny notice, you know, under garden party civic meeting on <laughs> the <festivals>. All right, <laughs> so look, So look.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, was, so we we do understand some context here, but right. the, the thing about the, the movie, of course, is the combination of music and uh, what do you want to call the rest of it?
1: I would call it, you know, you can say subtext, context setting, helping put it in a context that's just so much more sophisticated yeah. than I've ever seen any other movie. It's
0: context, and- it's not subtext.
1: Right, it's context, yeah. and to do it so economically and yeah. so well, yeah. I, yeah. it was brilliant. I mean, the only the only it's not as good a movie, but a, 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 it's sort of attempts to do the same thing is the movie Watt Stacks. That, oh yeah, you
0: know, but they really failed because they they, oh, they 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 would they would I've actually played some of that on my radio show, and they they, they would never play a whole song. But oh, you mean in the actual film? And <laughs> in, in watch the, the movie Wattstacks.
1: Oh right. Oh. Now, but it, it, but the thing is, it
0: worked. Them. It worked more th- that way in this movie, where they they don't they don't play all of the song for a number of artists, but it just seemed to be wasn't wasn't handled right in Wattstacks.
1: Yeah, and but they did attend, and then they had this bizarre. I mean I love Richard Pryor more than almost any performer ever. They had him as kind of like a commentator doing kind of offbeat comments yeah, and so yeah. on. But but for what they did obviously attempt it's it's done in the wake of the riots in Watts and this is kind of a you know celebration of black culture that probably add also some of the escape valve mechanism. But there's something in the movie that's especially unusual that people want to keep their eye out for. They're not going to see it very often. I, it's hard to explain in today's political climate. But in the movie is something that's like a unicorn, a white liberal Republican who is pro-civil rights and gets along fabulously with the black community. Yeah, that's
0: it's just, that's just I don't think that's, I, that's I, that seems to be a throwaway for me.
1: Well, I know, but for me, I know, no, I know he was in the movie to explain how it got made. But for me, in today's context, people like him don't exist. I'm not saying he was a right. great mayor and he ran the city wonderfully and all no. that. I'm not saying that, but but the notion that there was such a thing as a white liberal Republican who was pro civil rights and actively I
0: just strong, don't think that's very important in a movie. I, don't I think really, I really movie. don't. Here's, I don't what, here's the thing. All right, first of first important. of all. The it's chamber the, the Chambers brothers that was yep. that was the, that was the first music in the, in the and that's just seemed to be um background music to 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 set up everything
1: yeah because the song that they selected had to do with being in Harlem right, uh,
0: right. but it it, it wasn't it, it wasn't something that I mean it was a good song and who doesn't like the Chambers brothers, but still it wasn't it was more like background music than anything else. Okay, but I'm I'm not still quite not quite sure why the why the first major artist that they dealt with was the fifth dimension.
1: So, but didn't they have Stevie Wonder on before? Yeah, Stevie Wonder,
0: Stevie Wonder playing drums. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. I, yes, I yes, recall, yes. 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 Stevie Wonder
0: is is what's known as yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's great. It I, was it was great. It was great.
1: And they uh, had him. In other words, I think part of it was to give you a feel of the concerts. In other words, part of it is they're creating the illusion that this is one big festival. Yeah. So, so this is their equivalent of maybe John Sebastian doing warm up, you know, at Woodstock or something. No, but well, the, the, the Fifth dimension brothers. was not warm up. They were. No, they, no, no. no. I, I'm going back to your first point. Of the Chambers Brothers. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. In other yeah, words, is right. I think part of a film structure is you kind of lead with something, you know, to give people a flavor of the atmosphere, and then you start increasingly knocking it out of the ballpark, right? In terms of what you present, yeah. And I think they were not presenting clearly in chronological order of when the concert, when the people actually uh, filmed. They had, uh, you know, four, you know. A, Many many hours, right? Yeah, hours. I don't think the
0: Chambers brothers per se w- were a big deal. I, th- I I I still maintain that that was background music. That was that was because there was lots of narration and 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 cultural setup and political setup and.
1: <laughs> yeah, I yeah, but it, it may not have been. Yes, but they they were a popular group, uh, not as popular as some of the others. They weren't as but. But you're saying in the context of the movie, it allowed right. people to talk over. Yes. 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 In the context of the movie, it was, we'll have music chugging along, and the words Harlem will be in the musical song itself. Right. Okay. So, all right. So. That's the rationale. So. Why the fifth dimension? Yes. I, thought, I, I my, my view is, first of all, it is mine, you got to separate your personal taste and what you think is cool with what was popular and important at the time.
0: Now, and- I, I see. I like I love their 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 song, um, the, the, the song from hair. OK, okay. I I when, at the time. I liked that song. Um, and uh, so I have nothing against the fifth dimension. They, they made nice music. But <laughs> when, when you think about what was to come. You know? Yes,
1: but here's the importance that they, they, it's mentioned and it's just a flash, a quick flash is it, that song, either Up, Up up and Away or I, I Aquarius, one of the two might have been Aquarius was the number one song yes, yes. in the pop charts right. in the country yeah. okay, yeah. so it's kind of, they were kind of a very popular thing and it helps underscore the kind of they made the point that black art- you know white artists didn't generally do down home soul and they weren't generally featured before black audiences that with some exceptions, you know people who are kind of tribute artists you know like stevie Winwood, but what but but conversely, also very few relatively few black artists would do stuff in. "Quote wider sounding pop genres," okay, yeah, and and so they were, uh, they were kind of they talked uh, about how they were sort of stuck in between, and the reason that it's featured so heavily in the movie, even if today people go early. Because it it won it it if it was a great job. See, my, part of my reason is what you're doing is like to me you're second guessing Orson Welles and how he designed <laughs> Citizen Kane. Okay, this is a brilliant masterpiece that towers over every no, single. No, no,
0: I'm I'm not criticizing it. I just want to know why.
1: I think it. Here's why. I think that he had in the camp. Uh, my feeling is it's the Marilyn McCau the co- and her singing partner watching the video and they're getting emotional about this was their introduction to the black audience. Yeah. There's several yeah. elements of this. And, and, and it's sort of a little bit like um, Sam Cooke's recording of uh, live at the, uh, you know, Harlem Square or right, whatever, right. The, where he gets down and dirty yeah. doing his pop songs in a really gritty way. Mm-hmm. So they talk in the film about, in their segment, they talk about a few different elements. One that is really emotional is the, is Marilyn tearing up, seeing this strong response that they're getting from a black audience that was not their primary audience, but they are African-American, and this is – they are reaching this audience. At, they, they come out of this heritage and community, but that wasn't their audience. So they were deeply moved by getting a good response, and she notes <laughs> that uh, during one of the breaks, one of the singers said uh, – or somewhere along the line, maybe on the way out or during one of the breaks, someone says, uh, "We should take this to church," <laughs> and the lead singer begins soul right, musicing right. it up in a way yeah, that they yeah. normally did not
0: do. Well, yes and no. I mean, they, he did. They, he, did they, that, he He did that in that song when they no, recorded it too. what I'm saying
1: is this: his style of delivery of that song was probably not something that you would have seen in Irvine, California, uh, when they were in an all-white audience. I'm not so you sure know? about that. I don't know, but they. my guess is they added certain soul soulful elements.
0: Yeah, it sounded pretty true to the, uh, to the record to me.
1: <sighs> okay, I'll go back and listen and compare. All I know <laughs> is I guess I, I would have to, you know, see, this is my premise because I'm thinking of Sam Cooke's pop songs. Yeah. And how he yeah. delivered it when it was before an all black audience. Yeah. And I, now most of their songs, they didn't change, they didn't really change their stage act or the dancing that they did. However, they definitely had, you know, I think they, you know, it, when they said we got to take this to church, that meant, you know, the, the words to that effect, that was an implication that they had to have certain added soul elements to their presentation. That's my view.
0: I don't know that I agree with that. Okay. I, I think I think he did the same thing on the on the record that he did in that performance. Now, okay. When you talk about the orange and yellow outfits <laughs> right, right. that was not ghetto.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. And that's why and that's and that's also I think they wanted they brought up the emotion of this kid who was five years old at the time. Who
0: fell in love with Marilyn McCo.
1: Right and like at five, going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could see it was, and, and he is he is throughout the movie because he's very powerful. He's uh, in his emotional response to seeing his his you know this show. Yeah. And yeah. he get near near the end part. He gets very teary eyed and says, "Well, at least I know I'm not crazy."
2: Yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because he, was at Cause he still had
0: the same reaction when he saw the when he saw the film.
1: Right. Yeah. But moreover, he is seeing something that no one ever saw or heard of. Right. Until right. then, when they called him up to interview him. That that's was- one
0: of the that's one of the really really brilliant things about that film is the people that they found, to, who were there that they found to talk to.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, I was thinking about that as a journalist who has to track down average folks
0: who
1: are there. And, you know, I think they've talked a little bit. So, by the way, for people who aren't buying DVDs anymore, this is buy the DVD (laughs) because you want to hear the director's commentary and its extras. This is why... And, and like,
0: like later on, one of the one of the other really really um, uh, memorable uh, people who were there that they interviewed was the guy who was was talking about Sly, and he said, "I looked up there and the, the drummer was white. They're not supposed right. to be able to do that."
1: <laughs> right, right, right. I thought that was very funny. Yeah, you know. I mean it, it, but there's a speaking of white and black divide there's so many things about this whole event at the time and, and decades later that indicate the black and white divides in our culture that are still relevant and one thing that's relevant it's a side note In it's a side note in Quest loves much re- I recommend highly New York Times Sunday Arts interview about it as a side note, buried near the end is, oh yeah, Jimi Hendrix wanted to perform, and they didn't. <laughs> they didn't want to. They didn't want to let him go on. He just let that pass. And and I went and yeah, he and they, he actually said, well, he hung around there for a few weeks, and he jammed at late night after parties with <laughs> Albert King. And I went, holy mackerel. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm about yeah, yeah. to fly the wall. But the notion. That Jimi Hendrix, so this is before Woodstock, but certainly at, he's the one, a, such a celebrated figure. Sly was about as radical as they could get. Yes. For yes. the platform, you know, I mean, because Sly was, you know, was you know, even though he was, you know, uh, you know, kind of really cutting edge. Jimi Hendrix was, like, uh, considered such a radical figure in terms of his music and innovation and style and all that, that I guess <clears throat> I'm sure if the, if the organizers wanted to go, gee, we'd really like to add – I mean, they didn't seem to have – I don't think the, the suits were telling them who they could put on and who they couldn't put on, and it was I think it was a judgment call of the producers that, that they that- felt –
0: now, this you, would be
1: off-putting. This would be off-putting for the free concert folk showing up. That now, was my. Do,
0: do you know if it was actually the the promoters who made that decision? Because I thought I saw something that the that, that it was Hendrix people who didn't want him to be on. Hendrix's people, as
1: opposed to Jimmy himself.
0: No, as opposed to... as, as opposed to the concert promoters for well, the festival. I
1: you know, it's worth doing a story when the New yeah. Yorker gives me an assignment to it or the New Yorker <laughs> takes a look into it, is I would it really, like, so the point is Questlove throws away this remarkable side note. Yes. To him, like, I know how important Hendrix is to him, but, you know, uh the person interviewing doesn't go, hey, hold it here exactly how did this happen? Why did this happen? How did you? I mean, there's a lot to learn here. Is It is my guess. So you've read subsequently. I would have to see, is this speculation? Yeah. yeah. I, you know where I bet there's going to be some kind of like super nerdy Hendrix fan page <laughs> that might dig into expert, you know, journalism uh, who might understand it? Because I've read, okay, here's the point. It's. I read every major book on Hendrix, seen all the documentaries. <laughs> I love Hendrix, and I'm fascinated about his career. Uh-huh. You know, the fact that it took a trip to England, and yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. 10 days he had a record contract. I've yeah. been ignored for a decade here. And he had, you to, know? Burn, he had to
0: burn his guitar up.
1: Yeah, all the stuff that's had to do, I mean, you know, I mean, and the debate over who goes on first with the who and all yes, this stuff, yes. I just know a lot. And, like, you'd think something like he wanted to appear. I know, at the I know. Music festival. You'd think these guys who'd interviewed 300, that's how unknown it is, guys who interviewed 200 people <laughs> from every walk of life. Who knew Jimmy <laughs> from when he was a grade schooler? In to Seattle, yeah, in yeah. Europe, they didn't know about this. Yeah.
0: Okay? Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of uh, little sidelights, uh, on the twenty third, I put in into my radio show. Uh, I found I found a recording of uh, of what became the band of gypsies, uh, wow. which wasn't yet the band of gypsies, with Hendrix doing Manish Boy.
1: Oh, that's cool. How about that? That's great. Well, he was a great a great blues interpreter cuz one of the missing recordings that we don't have is you know, it's in these biographies later in his life him and he he and Miles Davis were thinking of recording and jamming together <laughs> and a number of friends <laughs> report Oh, Miles! Again, they've this fairly casually. Uh, yeah, Miles came over and they went into the bedroom and they were jamming. I went, "What? What? <laughs> Where? <laughs> please, please! I'd like no more." You know, it's like, oh yeah, like you know, the people being get what? <laughs> These? Do you imagine? Do you imagine me in the room? I know, I know.
2: Oh I know. my god! <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, let's get back to the movie.
1: <laughs> let's get back to the movie, and you'll tell me out. You'll give me some time, and you'll let me know when I can tell you about my seeing in person things that later became um, okay. music documentaries. We'll but do that, but first, let's go, let's first, go
0: back. To- I, 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 I think we should talk about what I think is the central emotional peak of the movie, and we're not. We're, this isn't, you know, this, we're not giving a giving a store away here, right? <clears throat> Which is um, Jesse Jackson talking about the death of Martin Luther King and the last thing that Martin Luther King said, which was a, a hymn, which was called what? I just, it, it just left my head. Anyway, we'll find it. I'll um, look it up. Uh, and that hymn, he, he, now before this, Mavis Staples, this is in a voiceover. In the movie. Right. That that was recorded, you know, when, when Questlove was making the movie, Mavis says that Mahalia Jackson, who was her idol. Right. <laughs> imagine being Mavis Staples' idol. Jesus. Uh, well, yeah, yeah really. <laughs> really, Jesus. Um, right, uh, right. Uh, uh, that, that, um, I think
1: it was Precious Lord, but I'm not sure. I mean it could be,
0: yeah. But anyway, so Mahalia leans over to Mavis, they're sitting on the stage, and says, I don't think I can make it. Can you? Right. Can you help me? Can you help me? Mahalia right. Jackson right. says, "Can you help me?" And right. of course, <laughs> of course, uh, Mavis says yes. And so there's this. The first, the first chorus is Mahalia. Right. And then right. I mean, no. The first chorus is 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 uh, Mavis.
1: First right. chorus is Mavis, right.
0: and then Mahalia comes up next to her and they right, sing they right. sing into the same microphone
1: right right oh my god and there's also i could not a, i couldn't i couldn't help myself i just cried like a baby i was i was really moved i was had tears too when i was seeing that also it was in the context of of not only was it his favorite song but i think he communicated to somehow to Mahalia was scheduled to appear at some upcoming show uh-huh. and then Martin wanted him her to sing that song. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the resonance for Mahalia Jackson uh, you know, singing just a year after his death mm-hmm. and with this you know, with passing the torch literally. So literally, literally yeah. gives the microphone and they sing together. Oh my God! I'm getting, I'm getting emotional just right now. Thinking back, if there was no nothing, if if that's all the movie
0: was, that would be enough.
1: Right. It would be, it would be. Instead of winning the Oscar for best documentary, it wins the Oscar for best documentary short. It's just, it's just, it's just Jesse Jackson. That whole section, her voiceover. It's done in ten minutes. And before yes, that. <laughs>
0: and before that was 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 Edwin Hawkins before or after that?
1: Uh, I think Edwin Hawkins may have come. I think they would have been before because yeah, you would
0: think yeah
1: yeah. I'm pretty but sure never, Hawkins, I, Of
0: course, everybody has heard "Oh Happy Day," but right. I, had, I had never seen them do "Oh Happy Day," and that and the, and the lead singer with that that deep a woman with a very deep voice. Right, right, and then there were so many members
1: of the choir. Right, it was amazing, right. Jeez. No, no, that that was the whole thing. Is and you know I've seen Mavis, I think twice, certainly once, uh-huh. and she's still extraordinary now. Oh, sure, sure. And you know what? I couldn't help thinking when they had Mavis on. I said, no wonder Bob Dylan wanted to marry her. <laughs> so there was a defi- there's definite stories. Might even be something he has written about, but he literally when they he, when he met Mavis at the Newport Folk Festival, he kind of quickly fell in love, and she was kind of wary. But he went ahead supposedly and asked Pop Stables for her hand in marriage.
0: And he went no fucking way,
1: right? No, <laughs>
0: no, uh, no fucking you, way. <laughs>
1: you screw- are uh, you kidding? Who Are spr- you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, you, I mean, you, scruff, you scruffy... I don't know if he's smoking it. You scruffy Jewish folk singer? I don't think so. I
2: mean,
1: but um, I just... And, you know, I mean, I mean, it, it is kind of... I don't know if they actually ended up of having a romantic relationship, but she, he definitely had a crush on her, and why not? I mean... Right. Right, I, I, and also I, I'm a huge. I have some anthologies of the staples singers, and I don't think every. Here's the thing: is I don't think they're listened to at all enough. I mean, they, well, they are they were, on my show, right? <laughs> they they had these hits that were popular at the time, but it's not like they're getting regular rotation, and people are going back. You can't. It's like Everything they did was absolutely perfect. And the amazing part is, to me, their vocal sound was great, but Pop's guitar is one of the most unique guitars in music history. It's like no one can imitate. I mean, people can figure out how to imitate it, and there's things that are a little similar, but his guitar sound is so special and unique. It so enriches... What they did, and to have Mavis alive now to talk about oh yeah, it. yeah, oh my god yeah. well that, that,
0: that, that, that documentary on her is another one that'll make you cry, which one the one on Mavis
1: oh, I have to I think I yeah. did see that one yeah. where she's older, yes, yeah. I forgot what it's called, where she tours with her sister yes, her, yes her it's interesting was... it's a, it's a,
0: it's interesting that in in the summer of soul movie, uh if you notice it's three sisters. The, the brother was in the service
1: right 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 yeah.
0: he just he just died not long ago
1: oh really yeah. I'm sorry to hear that but yeah. what what is interesting in the documentary on Mavis is one of the sisters is there mainly for the family ties and isn't really into the music that as much as Mavis
0: well but, she ended up like being the business manager
1: right right yeah,
0: yeah. Yvonne well, believe, I believe her I believe her name was Yvonne
1: Let's put it this way. She had plenty more talent than Gummo. The gummo what? of the Marx oh, Brothers? Gummo. yes. yes. <laughs> who dropped out to be her business yeah, manager? It, it, you, you,
0: could, you could say that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so she's well beyond the Gummo. Yes. <laughs> the Mavis, <famous> uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Singers family, you know. So um, the way
0: they treated politics was just remarkable how they explained so, so they explained so clearly what was on. Yeah. you know you and I were there when all this was happening we may not have gone to the concert but we were right. we, we we were a part of what was going on and uh i mean we were both covering it and um and and they just explained so clearly the politics of the moment and the
1: and, and the value of that even for those who were there which is an older group of baby boomers is that when we were watching it in real time, we weren't necessarily thinking analytically and no. putting it together with no. uh-uh. larger social forces, and certainly not, um, certainly not the, the you know as relevant to now in terms of social injustice and Black Lives Matter and and, and now voting rights suppression. Well, I, mean, I don't know. We, we both you know we, we we were we were writing
0: for him the following year. Uh, oh, no, no, uh, no, no, we we were we were covering that stuff,
1: oh no, 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 what I meant is is that right, no, we were thinking, but I'm thinking thinking analytically about, yeah, I'm saying that we were watching events in real time and then in our own ways, and sometimes in your paper because you were the publisher and the editor of a wonderful underground newspaper called Harry back in Baltimore. Well, I think,
0: I, I think you were thinking analytically, I was on acid,
1: right, but. <laughs> But what I'm getting at is, it's it it. but one of the things that's remarkable is clearly explaining what was happening, yeah. putting it together yeah. with the forces at the time, and implicitly, and in some cases in very subtle, direct ways, linking it to current events, and that's one of yes. the most disturbing elements yeah. about it is, like, one of the things that's really mind-blowing to me is watching documentaries about the Black Panthers including the new one called Judas and the Black Messiah. I about just Fred watched Hampton, that, yeah. and, and, and also seeing documentaries on that and also seeing a one-person play is, when I listen to the rhetoric uh, of the Panthers, I don't necessarily agree with some of the violent elements, but their analysis of what's wrong with the system and how it ought to be changed, and they're talking about responding to police violence against unarmed yeah. black citizens. Right. It's literally...
0: Are you say, are you saying yes, it was right on?
1: <laughs> yeah I will say it's right on Well you and, say
0: well you say it's right on with the right on
1: <laughs> I guess but but that's the thing is I'm listening to the rhetoric uh, there's also a wonderful... Play that's on YouTube. I believe it's a one-man show that won an Emmy about a guy playing Fred Hampton, but it's excellent. The the not Fred Hampton playing Huey Newton. Um, the the thing about it is is that that rhetoric, the rhetoric then resonates right now without him having right. say anything, and it's right. kind of yeah. scary. Rather than being an artifact of like oh like. <clears throat> I would say if we, I think the response to this would have been overwhelming on the cultural front. But 20 years ago, let's say just 20 years ago, if this movie came out, people would not go, Boy, this is so accurately reflecting the life we're leading right now. No, because we weren't faced with the high publicity of, you know, (laughs) of, you know we it was clearly happening the whole time police violence against african americans and unarmed and so on but the point of it is is that there wasn't a general awareness of racial injustice that now is overwhelming and so it it strikes it strikes harder now than it would have years than it would have like 20 years ago uh, and it's, but it's, it's the music itself that makes it so masterly, and it's, I think it also is wonderful the way they showcase all different styles, and thank God they gave Nina Simone such a huge play there. To actually see Nina Simone perform in a pop audience setting like that is remarkable.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, but the thing is. I think that's a whole side of her that that because uh, people just I think most people remember her as a jazz as a jazz
1: artist. That's right, and, and and they don't know yes, and and there's a really wonderful documentary about her that I would put in the top ten documentaries ever. What happened, Miss Miss Simone, uh, which is about her her rise and her decline later in life due to mental illness. Right, but she is known for certain of she did write these protest songs the best known of which was Mississippi Dan, you know, damn you
0: know Mississippi goddamn Mississippi
1: goddamn God yeah but she did one she did a song about the backlash right you know uh right, right. but also she's playing to a pop and R&B um basically an R&B and soul music crowd mm-hmm. and being a very very uh skilled performer High energy skilled performer, design, working, trying to work the crowd up, not trying, succeeding. And it is a side of her that we don't think of that often. We think of her more as this brilliant chanteuse. Yeah, oh, I, I,
0: I, I play her funky stuff on, on my show.
1: Well, yeah. you, you know, she is, rem- she is remarkable. I still remember. Um, uh, there's an early documentary about the death of Martin Luther King from Memphis, something to Memphis. It uh-huh. was by. It's a beautiful documentary early on after Martin Luther King died, and they have her voice uh, singing uh, ha- some beautiful ballad about longing for justice. I wish I remember the exact name, but they have her singing over the the film of. His body in the horse-drawn carriage, uh-huh. and you hear the creaking of the wood wheels and Nina Simone's voice over it. Oh, geez. oh my God! Yeah. So
0: You know, another thing that uh, was interesting in this film that doesn't really... Maybe it gets dealt with, and I don't see it because I'm white, okay? Okay. Which was the whole cultural revolution of, 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 uh, of dress and uh, hair and all that. Now I remember, and
1: also language. Well, that yeah, a, but but that's, but, but, but that's,
0: I'm, I, that's a different ahead. thing. I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking about the look, right? Because I mean, I remember when it happened, right? And I was thinking that yeah, you know, it was really cool, uh, but uh, it was really important back then. I just played a couple of weeks ago. I just played on my radio show uh, when when Hank Ballard was hooked up with James Brown. Uh, he recorded wow. a tune called "Blackenized."
1: I didn't know that and I interviewed Hank Ballard. oh yeah yeah, yeah he's an amazing guy who was yeah. totally
0: destroyed by the music industry but, All right, but anyway ahead. so he actually recorded this on on King and there's a, there's a picture of James Brown on the label
1: <laughs> wow. of
0: the 45 but it's with called, called black eyes rather
1: than his process
0: No it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's like you have to, you, have to, you, have to, you have to you have to get a fro. you've got to, you, have to, right. you have to look black. you can't look white anymore.
1: Uh, and, it was and, a huge deal when James Brown changed oh, yeah. changed his afro. Yeah, yeah, and the weird part is, Reverend Sharpton always explains why his hair looks like he does. And it's it's when he was a young protege of James Brown, he said, "You know, I'm gonna. I don't know who thought of it, but they they mutually agreed that in tribute to the great James Brown, he would." Have his hairstyle like James Brown, yeah but when James yeah. Brown switched to an afro, he kept the kept the process. Still don't <laughs> understand. I right. it's not really my role to uh, you know. If, if you want to have top three questions, you don't want to ask Reverend Sharpton. No. Uh, no. Number no. one, what number one is? Tawana Brawley, what actually happened, and why did you lie? Please explain the hairstyle. And you don't have time to ask the third yeah, question. Really. Yeah, really. Before you're hustled out of the room. Um,
0: but anyway, uh, so they brought it up in the in the film, and then but it but it resonated throughout the rest of the film because they, then you were noticing, you were noticing who had a fro, who had, who had a process, who had right. a dashi, who had a dashiki, who had a suit.
1: It, it was huge. It was huge, yeah. but. But Sharpton, who's a master of sound bites and great speech maker, said, yeah, that was the year, even though Black Power had been around since like 65 right. and 66, he said, that was the year that we went from being Negro to being black.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And yeah. and and now, of course, there's still, you know. Debates over uppercasing black—is it okay to use the word black as opposed to African American? That's still a subject of discussion. But the notion that uh, within the within the black community, it was it became you know you just didn't use the word Negro anymore, and quickly enough, quick you know within I'm sure someone has drilled into this historically. Soon after, it became the overwhelming consensus. don't We're not using the word Negro. We're not answering to the word Negro. Use the word Black. The New York Times changed, yes. too. Yeah. You know? So yeah. when the New York Times changes, you know... Um, I don't know I don't know when the I don't know when the daily news change and I'm not gonna tell stories here about the horrible racism of editors of the daily news because it involves using the N word, but But I know it, you do have something I do
0: I know you do have something else that you wanted to talk about.
1: Yes. So yes, why don't mo- you
0: why don't you smoothly transition into it?
1: Well thank you for the wonderful opportunity <laughs> for this segue that is Hidden in process (laughs) from our listeners. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Bothering to create a topic sentence or fake lead in. Yes. (laughs) Well, I have been in person at two events that were later filmed into really good documentaries. The better known of them is the Concert for Bangladesh, which was when. Uh, George Harrison, with his friend Ravi Shankar, decided to raise money for Bangladesh. And it was the first of the rock superstar, uh, rock superstar events, and um, I was going out with my uh, girlfriend who I had met at Johns Hopkins, and we came up to New York. and my fa- It was it was the hardest ticket in the world to get, and my father pulled every string he could get. He was an attorney, and he kind of knew an attorney who was vaguely affiliated with the Madison Square Garden, which means you had to deal with unions, which meant the mob is involved, okay? Right. So by the time I got the tickets, literally it was just an envelope, two tickets, good upper-tier seats, and it just said, in the envelope, it just said, from the Godfather. Oh, jeez. Okay? <laughs> so we go there, we see the thing, and the critical thing to know is we did not know that Dylan was going to be on the concert. And huh. I, 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 I think I may have written that. I may have written that up for you that event. I'm not sure, but uh-huh. I wrote it up. But Dylan, we didn't know Dylan was going to be there. And so there were two shows. We were at the second show, and we saw a friend of my girlfriend at the time, Anne, and we said. How was it How was the show and he said, "Oh, it was really great. You really love it and didn't mention that Dylan had appeared at that point. I need to tell listeners today there was no such thing as a never ending tour. He was still basically in hiding after his motorcycle accident in nineteen sixty nine and rarely appearing in public, which was one of the reasons that Woodstock had its its aura of magnet magic was because Dylan lived near there supposedly uh even though it was in Bethel. So then I, we're there and we're seeing, you know, Leon Russell, we're seeing, you know, George Harrison and Ringo Starr. It's just amazing. And Eric Clapton. And then at one point, George Harrison says, I'd like to bring up my good friend, Bob Dylan. And the entire audience erupts. And it's kind of like we're at Lord's. The front audience, you see, crutches up in the air. And I am... Totally teary eyed, an Irish cop comes over to me and says, What's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, (laughs) grasping the binoculars with tears down my eyes. And I'm turning to this Irish cop about 50, and I go, It's Dylan! It's Dylan! I'm like, hysterical, trying to explain it. And then at one point in the set, I turned to uh, Ann and I said, you know, if he does just like a woman, I think I'm gonna die right here. And that next <laughs> song was just like a woman. So follow up about a year later, I'm I'm a, I'm in Columbia Journalism School, and I'm downtown, and I decide in the late afternoon to drop into a movie theater where the film of the concert is, and lo and behold, it's somebody who looks I think looks like Art Garfunkel behind me. He's, you know, I kind of knew who Art Garfunkel obviously was and, and he was thin and had, you know, a kind of his white fro and he had two dumpy uh, girlfriend, friends of his from Forest Hills there and I turn around and I go, are you? And then he joked and said, yeah, I'm Bob Dylan. I said, no, you're Art Garfunkel. He kind of nodded and then I asked him about, I began asking him a few questions before the movie came on and one was, uh, there was a uh, an article in the New York Times just the week before with Paul Simon talking jealously about how much attention uh, uh, Art Garfunkel got. And then Garfunkel uh, does not speak in an ethereal voice of the high-voiced angelic singer. He's a guy from Queens, and he goes, hey, what's his beef? He wrote the songs. He wrote the lyrics, what's he complaining about, you know? (laughs) And I was like, what, this is Art Carfunkel? And then the moment when Dylan comes on the screen, you know, the great artist, and behind me is a masterful singer, beloved around the world. Dylan comes on the screen, and he turns to one of his friends and goes, what an entertainer. (laughs) <laughs> you know? And I go, oh, my God, what I don't know about show business. And the second uh, thing I later later became a concert movie that came out recently was Hendrix's last performance in uh, in before he died in America was at the Atlanta Pop Festival It was the second season. And I went with uh, my friend and then editor of the college paper, Mike Hill, down there and you know, the Allman Brothers and Johnny Winter and Hendricks was there, and we were next right in the press tent, uh, open-air press tent right next to the stage, so we could see everything very close up. And there was a scary moment as a non-drug taker of psychedelics when there was some liquid passed around, and I took a sip, and then the person said, oh, by the way, it was stoked with acid, and Tom knows I never took acid, and, <laughs> and it still not and I am in a panic, like, oh, my God, I'm going to have an acid trip. I can't handle it. I can barely handle grass, right? So I'm, like, in a panic, sweat is pouring down me just before Hendrix comes on. And then somewhere in the early part of the set, the guy turns to me and goes, oh, I was just kidding. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but
0: Hey, Art, but, you said grass.
1: I said grass. That was the term we used back then, didn't? Wasn't it? I know, but that was fifty years ago. I'm saying, okay, I'll use the term now. <laughs> one. I'm setting the stage for what uh, people do not use the word grass right now. What is the term? No,
0: no, pot. Everybody just pot. says pot. Yeah.
1: Everyone says pot. Well, everyone
0: that's I, that's universal. I mean, there are okay. there, there are variations, but it's
1: well. It's, it's I'm pot. setting it in the time era. Okay, and then the Go final on. thing. Uh, one final point about that era that's important is I, to show you the level of reverence that people like uh, Dylan and Hendrix were held in. It's unlike today's stardom. I walked out into the crowd to try to interview people, and, and I mentioned casually, oh, I was I was in the backstage area, and I was really close to seeing I was really close to Hendrix. And then the word rippled out among these stoned young kids. He saw Hendricks. He was next to Hendricks, <laughs> and literally the woman kind of glazed eyed walked over to me and said, "Can I touch you?" I'm saying you didn't get laid from that. Uh, no, I didn't get laid from that at that moment because oh, I geez. did go back in the tent. But uh, you know, it wasn't it, was, it wasn't the time for me to do a come on. But what? But it was remarkable. <laughs> the mere act of being next to (laughs) Jimi Hendrix was enough to turn me into a quasi-religious figure who should be touched (laughs) like a saint who would give them good luck. And then there's later a movie out that just came out. I think it was re-released where they found the full footage, and it's Jimi Hendrix. And he was great, even though we know from biographies he was really grappling with drug abuse at the time. He gave a great performance, but you know, let you know, three months later, he he was dead. And but I wanted it brings me back to this movie and Hendrix. If Hendrix had appeared in this, one of the points it's to bring back a point that Questlove says in many interviews. How might uh, uh, the broader culture's awareness of Black music, black culture, black aspirations, and the African-American community's awareness of itself been changed if they had this film as a touchstone of their glory, their musicality, and their peacefulness, and their community as a touchstone like the white community and rock fans have for Woodstock, where they go, oh, Woodstock Nation, look how peaceful we were. Look at all the great music. You know, nobody was deliberately killed at Woodstock. I mean, the whole notion of hippie culture as having the capacity for self-government. So this is a portrait that literally, to this day, you, you can't, you don't normally... It took like active civil rights movements to change the way African Americans are portrayed in film and TV. And here from 1969 is footage of a totally large scale event with African Americans overwhelmingly. And there's not a hint of violence or any demonization that typically shows after, if you look, okay, If you compare of what white and black Americans have seen in portrayals of blacks, both in groups or separately, for the last 60 years, it's generally been really negative. I mean, particularly, you know, not counting Roots or, or Shawshank Redemption, but commonly what you see on local news and how it's been presented until sort of the 70s, was overwhelmingly negative and demonizing, and here was a film that was living proof of the opposite.
0: Right. Even though they had, they had wonderful soundtracks by Isaac Hayes and Curtis Mayfield.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Now, when you say they, you're referring to black exploitation movies. Oh, black Yes, of course, black exploit. No, but I'm talking about the representation. I understand. It was a a joke, Art. It was a joke. (laughs) I know. Okay. I I got it. But I just felt that Questlove has really made that an important point. And by the way, for those of you who like reading memoirs, his memoir is rated, uh, I haven't read it yet, I read all the others in Rolling Stone's list of the top five rock memoirs ever. And in it is Chronicles... Just Kids, you know, by Patti Smith and uh, Life uh, uh, by Keith Richards. And, and in that top five is Quest Loves Autobiography.
0: So, in and, other words, you're recommending this movie.
1: Yes, i recommend <laughs> this movie. You want to see me? You know, I have to tell you, I recommend it to a friend of mine who said, uh, oh, you know, it had, she doesn't like blues that much. It was a little too much blues for her. And like, you know... It's not. It's not a deal killer. We're still friends. I'm just saying, like, you know, how could you not love this movie? But, but also, there's definitely people of a certain generation, a younger generation, who may not be as appreciative of these older musical styles as well, we fuck are. Fuck them. Yes, absolutely. Fuck them. Yeah, if they don't, if they don't, if they don't dig it, you know, that's the residents.
0: The residents once said, "Ignorance of your culture is not cool."
1: Yeah, yeah. Ignorance of your culture is not cool. But that's the point of it is, is that one of the things I kind of pride myself on is, you know, I guess someone who writes periodically music criticism for you and other places is, you know, being able to appreciate different genres, even the quality in genres that you yourself don't know that much about or like. Right. And, you know... Being able to distinguish between good and bad. And, like, everybody, everybody in that, everybody was at the top of their game. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and they all knocked it out of the ballpark. And it's such a celebration. And the other thing is, I think this is going to have this, I think it's going to have this kind of effect on this is setting the bar so high. Yeah. That there's yeah. good what's going to happen is people who aren't as sophisticated as quest love kind of, there's going to be bad concert movies. Like there's going to be a concert movie that took place post Trump. Right. And someone (laughs) is going to add some dumb anti-Trump context or have footage of, of, of black lives matter protests weaved into like a concert film for, you know, Lady Gaga or something. Well, I think
0: the problem is that he set the bar too high for himself.
1: Well, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, What are you going to do next, Questlove?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, he said it it definitely, he said he has other, he's going to make, I I think one thing is he's going to do, he's not going to make another music documentary, per se. You sure? But I don't think he was asked. He definitely wants people to would go, pay him for that. People would pay him a lot of money. Yeah. But what he does say about it is because he already works in a number of genres and writes, you know, screen music stuff and does albums and other things and writes very well. You know, nonfiction. Is he said? <laughs> Here is what he said at the end of one interview. So how does this affect you making this? Is it made me feel like i can do anything oh jeez which is anything meaning not bad i was very meaning it gave him a great sense of confidence this yeah. guy is yeah. a first time director right right, making right. the great that means the mazley brothers who yeah. did the, the, don't look back who the, did give me shelter yes. or in and they when they did that, they already had like twenty indie films under their belt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and they had um, you know, Greg Gore, they had all this amazing stuff under their belt. Quest Love, out of the box, <laughs> makes the greatest music documentary ever. Yep. It's just not that common in artistic in artistic forms that the first that the first per, that the first time out You've done the best thing ever. I can't even think of it. Another artistic, another, I mean, you could say, oh, Orson Welles, I think Orson Welles is is the other example. Okay. But Questlove didn't have Herman Mankiewicz. What? But Questlove
0: didn't have Herman Mankiewicz.
1: That's right. I mean, (laughs) that's right. He did not have Herman Mankiewicz to help him with a great screenplay. Absolutely. All right. Uh, That's enough. That is enough. That's enough. I think this has been a lot of fun, and I hope your uh, (laughs) listeners enjoy it. Thanks a lot, Art. Okay. Thank you.